What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode one of Believing Queens. I'm Joe Sorallo. You might know me already from Sorallo Sports Talk. Joining me, the New York Mets diehard guru himself, my man, my co-host, Tyler Ward, Wardy NYM. Tyler, what's up, man? How's it going? I'm so pumped up. This has been, you know, long overdue. I know I had you on my channel like a week and a half, two weeks ago, kind of introduce you to my viewers here on YouTube. And I know that if you're not watching the video format, you might not know who I am, especially for wherever you get your podcast. But again, my name's Tyler. I'm a YouTuber content creator. I've been doing this for a year and a half now. I cover all things regarding the New York Mets. I'm a young diehard fan, like I know many of you guys listening right now. And I'm just absolutely pumped up to start off this podcast with you, Joe, when believe first reached out i was like oh this seems like a match made in heaven so i'm just really antsy i'm excited to get into it and joe uh really pivoting back to you quick for people that don't know who you are expand a little bit further on what made you a mets fan and what has led you to this point now in which we're having this discussion yeah well some of you might know if you've already followed my show Sorallo sports talk that i, I cover everything from the nfl to the nba to baseball uh but baseball has always been my first love and so you know when I, a full-time you know, staffer here at Believe in the Talent Department, was tasked with staffing a New York Mets show at the company, it was a no-brainer that I was going to be a part of it in addition to staffing it. And so grew up a diehard Mets fan, I would say across any sport, any team, they've always been my favorite team. Uh, grew up going to you know Shea, and it was like a treat that would happen two, three times a year. Got to the point where both my dad and I were working at Citi Field for the Mets, and it just became you know, more than a favorite team, uh, the Mets organization, the people at the ballpark, season ticket holders, regulars, employees, it just became a family for me. So I worked for the Mets for four years. I'm a baseball player my whole life, played through the college ranks and uh, really excited to get this show going and talk about the team that I'm most passionate about. You know, it's really fun to be able to talk on national radio every week, Tyler, about, you know, the biggest stories and the hot button pressing topics. But there's nothing like talking about your favorite team to an audience who's equally as passionate about that organization as you are. And that's why this show is just going to be a blast. Yeah, beautifully said, because for me, at least, you know, I grew up a diehard sports fan. You know, Mets have always been my favorite baseball team. And especially because I'm originally from Long Island, but I reside in Pennsylvania, have for the majority of my life. And growing up, I have Philly fans around me, Yankees fans. I really don't have many Mets fans. And because of that reason, I figure, you know what, I have a lot of passionate thoughts and really feel that I could really express myself well here on the internet. Let's start a YouTube channel. Let's get that rolling. And that now has led in a year and a half's time to being the largest Mets content type platform on YouTube, not directly affiliated with the Mets or SNY and only again, a year and a half span. So it's been a whirlwind. I cannot believe I'm even in this position right now because not to just have this opportunity would believe with you, Joe, but knowing that soon, probably a couple episodes in, we are going to be having a third co-host that is in fact going to be, yes, a former New York Mets. So Joe, what was your reaction just to find out that news initially and how pumped up are you to again, get rolling and knowing that that this is going to be something that is going to be a whirlwind in this Mets season in which the Mets right now are kind of one of the best teams in baseball. Well, I, I would say my reaction to that's twofold. Look, I'm excited as hell. I can't wait to get a former Met on the show with us talking about the team. Uh, but it's also stressful because I believe I'm the one tasked with the assignment of finding that former Met to join us every week. So I, I can't wait to bring that to all of you. It's going to be fun. Look, there's been no shortage from the 60s all the way to present day of big personalities in that clubhouse in Flushing. So when the time is right, we can't wait to introduce that third co-host. We know you're going to be excited when you all find out who he is. But I do want to remind everyone that today's show and every show of Believe in Queens is brought to you by our, our proud sponsors, 
at BetOnline. That's BetOnline.ag. Head on over there. Use the promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus. They've got you covered for the Stanley Cup Finals. For every baseball game from now until early November, they've got NFL futures, NBA draft bets. Don't forget, the draft is just hours away. So head over to BetOnline. Use that promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus. And let the games begin. Awesome. Okay, Joe, you know, I don't really think we need to say too much more right now. We could easily go on an hour plus to subscribe and what has led us to this point. But I know for the viewers here on YouTube, on the Wardy NYM YouTube channel, Believes, and wherever you get your podcast for the audio format, they want to hear talking about the New York Mets, right? So let's just start by deep diving the Mets and looking at how they've done so far this year, right? As things stand currently, we're recording this right after the Mets lost that two-game set in Houston, which was by all means frustrating. You guys don't know, I do post-game coverage of live shows after every single Mets game throughout the year. I share my raw thoughts then. I feel like I've calmed down a bit now, and I've rationalized that, yes, this was a two-game set, two games in 21 hours, and without Jeff McGee on the lineup, and Cookie Carrasco exiting, that is a big factor in today's discussion, along with who is potentially going to be replacing him, or at minimum is going to be returning the rotation, that being, and yes, Mad Max Scherzer, that will be getting into soon. I know that after this series for the Mets, while it wasn't pretty, we still have plenty of positives to take away on this season as they are just under 20 games above 545 and 26 to be exact. And really when looking a little bit further at this series against the Astros, however, Joe, what were the biggest stands out for you? Because for me personally, other than the fact that the Mets did not have an off day, Footy Houston, again, it would have been nice if they had an off day today at the time that you guys are watching this for a break between those two series, Miami and then Houston. But there were plenty of factors into why you would expect maybe the Mets to knock it off on the right foot in that matchup. But there were still some things, even with McNeil out of the lineup, that I personally would have liked to see more. And I fully expect the Mets to bounce back and have a better performance when they match up against Houston next week at City Field. Yeah, look, here's my thing, man. I was going into this series hoping for a split, right? And this may be the first series all year that I've had that approach or that mentality going into it with, you know, I wasn't expecting the Mets to go in there and sweep two games in 21 hours, like you mentioned. You know, they pretty much finished up a seven-game homestand, got right on a plane to play those two games in less than 24 hours. And this series was just, you know, it was a weird, funky midweek deal that, you know, was set up for failure. And essentially, you had two bullpen games. You know, neither starter got into the fifth inning, uh, Trevor Williams or Cookie Carrasco. And for me, you know, look, I'm an optimist. I feel like if you're a Mets fan... You know, you you need to be. Otherwise, you'll see yourself slowly go absolutely batshit crazy. So I, I try to stay optimistic. And when I look at how the bullpen performed in these two games, I'm thrilled with that. Because everyone, with the exception of Chase and Shreve, the bullpen was nearly flawless these two games in Houston. So for me, that's the biggest takeaway. Now, when you look at Shreve, unfortunately, you know, it's tough to find really good situational lefty relievers. Obviously, we were spoiled last year with Aaron Loop. But even when you look at him this year with the Angels, He's got an ERA of about four and a half. So with Shreve, it's kind of a necessity to have the lefty out there. But his days might not uh, might be numbered in Queens because he just can't get anyone out, lefty or righty. So with the exception of him, I thought looking at this series, you know, you had the unfortunate, surprising injury to Cookie Carrasco. He didn't make it out of the third. Trevor Williams really, as good as he's been for the most part for the Mets, never goes past five. So I thought the bullpen in these circumstances was a real big bright spot to look at. I'm glad that you brought up a bright spot for the bullpen because normally when looking at the Mets bullpen, it's so easy to nitpick because that has far and away in a lot of ways this season been the biggest gripe for them. You know, when they've had one of the top 
offenses in all baseball consistently for the most part this season, even though that June has been a little up and down directly part with their injuries that we saw in the West coast trip, especially the bullpen. However, you've seen a little bit of ups and downs shakiness, but outside of chase and Shreve, who I will say is on a short leash. I will be very surprised if chase and Shreve is honestly in the bullpen for the remainder of the season. He's a guy that himself and Joely Rodriguez, they have been consistent as those lone Southpaws in the pen, but Shreve again, this guy is simply getting shelled and especially any time, in which a pitcher is, say, exiting when there's a couple guys on, forget it. And even with him coming in and that, I didn't love the move by Buck personally. I understood a lefty-on-lefty situation against the Astros in game one. But when you can't even get lefties out when you're supposed to be a lefty specialist, that is a massive red flag for me. So Shreve, I do think he's on the short end of the stick. Like, I think he has a short leash. But Adonis Medina going three strong yesterday to eat those aims for the bullpen, right? Then today, Yon Lopez, after Carrasco exits, over two scoreless and then also tommy hunter hunter who just came back in the mets bullpen out of nowhere if you guys don't know hunter was with the mets in the bullpen last year was traded right around the trade deadline for the tampa bay rays was injured didn't play another game in the season after he has first base knock of his career in atlanta if you know you know but hunter pitches 1.1 scoreless too like guys that are not supposed to be regulars by any stretch in this mets bullpen are, are eating innings and this is something that i personally emphasize all the time especially in my post game shows because yeah, it sucks talking about the Mets after a loss, especially a series loss, but let's look at things that we can appreciate, and especially when you can get relievers, guys, that who knows how much of a leash that they will have in the pen this year to begin with, eat two, three-plus innings with ease against an Astros team that's among the best in baseball. I mean, that's nothing short of impressive. So huge tip of the cap. If there's one positive to take away from that two-game set, it is, in fact, those relievers. Yeah, and don't forget also the fact that this team is never going to stop fighting, right? Carrasco had an awful first inning today, and it could have been easy to pack this one in. You just lost 8-2 last night. Carrasco goes out there, gives up, what, three first inning home runs. You find yourselves in a 4 nothing hole. Could have been really easy on a getaway day to just disengage, but they fought back. You know, obviously didn't get the result we wanted, but only losing 5-3, scoring three unanswered later on in the game. The team fought back. They were in it, and you know that's kind of been the story of this team all year. It doesn't matter if they're down seven nothing to the Phillies in the in the ninth, or seven one in the ninth, rather two nothing to the Cardinals in the ninth inning. This team is not out until that twenty seventh out has been made. So you know they showed that same fight against Houston, and I'm excited to get to Miami and go win some division games. I'm excited for that too. And before we get there, because we have a lot to say on the Miami series again, Houston, especially with this being our first official episode of the pod, there aren't many pauses to take away from that one. So it's easy to say, push it aside a little bit. And I think we'll have a better idea on how the Mets match up with a team like the Astros. Not that means so much outside of potentially a World Series uh, type matchup in either this year or the years going forward. But knowing that again, the Mets do match up against Houston at City Field next week. So that is going to be the bigger test with a healthier Mets lineup than what we saw here. But one more thing that I do want to add about the Mets faltering here was the offense was absolutely anemic in game one. We saw, right. That was in my opinion, probably the worst game the Mets have had this year. One of from an offensive standpoint. And that has been a trend this month when looking at how they've lost, they've lost in blowout fashion, either not having pitching, but not having offense, but it still has been really hard to truly gauge those factors when in almost every single one of those games, the Mets have either been losing one key player out of the lineup due to injury, either entering that game or got hurt in that game, or two, already had someone out to begin with, say, in the rotation. So there's a lot of reasons to justify behind why the Mets did not play well. Again, I'm not going to give every excuse in the book. I still want them to perform better. But in game two, yes, I was impressed with the Mets. This felt like a game early on that's like, oh, no. 
Cookie Carrasco's his 2021 self here in the first inning. The Mets, they're going to get shelled, and who, they're not going to bounce back at all. So the fact that they had a valiant effort there, got a couple runs scored, even though that I was by all means frustrated when they had bases juice in the six with less than two outs, and they couldn't even get those guys in. Back-to-back games, the Mets had bases low, less than two outs, and you had guys like Eduardo Westbar, they're striking out or popping up who, in my opinion, has really been a struggle for the Mets this year. I want to see that man succeed. He's the best personality, and he owned up to it in postgame today, saying that he hopes and fully expects to give Mets fans something to cheer about soon. Literally wish him nothing but the best, but he has been one of those glaring spots currently in the Mets lineup. And then outside of that, J.D. Davis swinging right through fastballs per usual. I mean, it's a broken record with the guys that have been inconsistent this season, and that's something that I hope that we see more productivity of going forward, especially entering this Marlins matchup that by all means you can rightfully argue is more important than these games against Houston, because I'm not sure if you're aware, Joe, but the team that wins the most games against the rivals in the NL East has won the division the past nine years. So basically the Mets, if they win more than anyone else, they're locked in to win the division. The Braves do it. They're going to win. So these games, even against the Marlins, even with them being one of the worst teams right now in the NL East are awfully important, especially now, Earlier in the year, again, when the Mets still have plenty of difficulty on their schedule down the stretch, especially in the month of June. Well, that's a great stat, Tyler. I actually didn't know that one. And you look at the past nine years. I mean, I'd say right now the Mets are off to a pretty good start in that department. We're beaten up on the Nationals this season. We're nine and three against Philly in 12 games. And now you look at the Marlins and, you know, yes, the Marlins are probably not going to contend with the Mets, Braves and Phillies atop the division. But. The Marlins are not a pushover. I mean, you know, they they have one of the best pitchers in baseball in Sandy Alcantara. And it's going to be really interesting because the Mets are a team that has not lost three games in a row yet this season. They've lost two games in a row now for the fourth time this year, but they have not lost three straight. And this is going to be one of their toughest tests because their next game is going up against Sandy Alcantara and the Marlins. Of course, Alcantara pitched the one game last weekend in that four game set where the Mets lost. But at the same time, while Alcantara has been one of the best in baseball all year, Taiwan Walker has been one of the hottest pitchers in baseball right now. And it's going to be Walker versus Alcantara. I can't wait for this matchup. You know, I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm a former pitcher myself. And so, you know, getting to watch these two guys a little bit on Alcantara. I mean, what I love about him is that he is, he's a 1970s, 1980s bulldog out there, right? The guy does not want to come out to the game. doesn't matter if he's got, you know, 100 pitches or 120 He wants to start a game. He wants to finish a game. And there are not too many guys like that in the MLB or in baseball in general anymore. So Alcantara is a rare breed. And, you know, his success has paid off this year. He could have left that Mets-Marlins game on Sunday on Father's Day down 1-0 in the sixth. He stayed in there. The Marlins bats finally woke up and he put the finishing touches on it. I think he went eight innings in that game on Sunday. Taiwan Walker, on the other hand, 19 strikeouts in his last two. This is a guy who really, since maybe his rookie sophomore season, this guy has not been a power pitcher, a strikeout pitcher. We're seeing his velocity reach new heights. I was at his start on Sunday night baseball out in Anaheim when the Mets played the Angels. And I mean, he was touching 97 consistently. So Walker's velocity is up. His splitter is moving at at rates that it hasn't yet, at least not in his year and a half as a Met. So, you know, don't forget the guy was an all-star last year. He's making a late push to be an all-star again, consecutive years as a New York Met. That's going to be a great pitching duel to start off this series. 
Yeah, game one both has me excited and terrified all at the same time, right? As a baseball fan, I absolutely love and appreciate Sandy Alcantara and what he's done. Against my Mets, of course, not so much. So if you look at how the Mets fared against Alcantara in their last matchup, which was just literally a couple days ago, Alcantara won eight innings, gave up two earned with six hits, and Adam Self seven to eight strikeouts. I mean, he's been absolutely nasty this year. Looking at his actual stat line at this point, he's seven and two with a 1.72 ERA. Right now, you could rightfully argue that Alcantara is a not just the elite in baseball, but looking like a heavy favorite early on to win the NL Cy Young. That's how good this guy has been, not just with the crazy VLO, but he's had the Mets number for literally quite some time. If you look at his career totals against Mets, he's almost literally a strikeout per inning. Like, that's how good he's been. He's just been absolutely nasty. And Ty, where have these strikeouts come from? Well, the slider is a big factor as well. If you look at his usage and his last start against Miami, he threw the slider more than every other pitch. And you're like, where is this coming from with Taiwan Walker? I mean, he had the splitter going all throughout the year. The fastball, we know that that thing I have seen, especially in his Jekyll and Hyde 2021 year, sometimes it looks like a meatball out there. And you got to be a little wary when you have a guy that maybe doesn't have as much movement or life as you want on the heater. But over his past couple starts, he has been the complete opposite. He has more life. He has more average ex- average velo there that he has with the fastball. And then the slider, the square, that entire mix. I mean, give credit where credit's due, not just to Ty, but also to, of course, Hefner, the Mets pitching coach, who does a phenomenal job with the staff. And I'm, I am pumped up. This very well could be the biggest game of this series. And as we pivot now from game one pitching matchup to game two, we have another exciting one. And again, on paper, yes, I know that the Mets did work, uh, that being in Rogers the young southpaw in their last start the Mets were able to get four four runs total three earned on in five innings including five hits seven strikeouts the Mets have been striking out a lot here in June for the most part especially early on Rodgers I mean literally fastballs right down the pipe and everyone and your mother was swinging right through them through them I don't know why righties on lefties especially the Mets have not done great against when you think that they would but no less you have Rodgers who's three and six with a sub six year Ray I expect him to bounce back and have a better second half I mean outside of him when he had his injury last year you know lead up to the all-star break he was one of the better pitchers in all the NL so I'm not sleeping on Rodgers regardless but the Mets have Chris Bassett and Bassett who had a phenomenal start that you saw just a couple days ago against Miami that unfortunately in my opinion I want to know if you agree or disagree with this one on Joe I thought that Bassett should not have stayed in there in the seventh. He was already at 100 pitches, looking strong through six. And then you saw Buck throw him out there for one more, directly in hand because Alcantara was dealing and he was going at minimum eight. So I understood that thought process. But, you know, Bassett, he gets the bases juice with less than two outs. And then the Mets, unfortunately, the bullpen not able to do anything but surrender runs. Seth Lugo gives up a grand salami to rookie at his MLB debut that day. Reminded me of Isan Diaz, if you remember him, when he hit his home run his first game of his career against Jacob DeGrom at City Field. But Bassett's 5-5 five and five with a 4-3 year array. Again, three earned five hits, 6.1 innings uh, last time he faced Miami a couple of days ago. So what's really what are you looking for in this matchup, uh, Joe? And especially what's your take on Buck's utilization of going maybe, in my opinion, one more inning than maybe he should have there with Bassett? Well, look, I mean, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback, right, man? When it comes to Chris Bassett, he's been a really interesting case this year. Uh, as far as performance at home, he's been way better at home at City Field than he has been on the road. He threw six scoreless to start off the game on Father's Day. You know, admittedly, I didn't watch the game. Father's Day was also my birthday. I was busy jumping out of airplanes over the Pacific Ocean to celebrate instead you of watching. You have priorities this. to deal with. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, skydiving on my birthday or watching, you know, every Met game. As it is, I probably watch 130 a year. But uh, so I didn't watch Bassett in this start, but in his last one to start off the homestand against Milwaukee, the guy looked phenomenal. So he was coming off a great start. He's been better at home. 
I understand Buck leaving him in there, you know, especially when the bullpen has been a bit shaky this year. So, you know, again, easy to look back at it and say it was the wrong move. Was it? Yeah, probably. But, you know, it is what it is. We still took three out of four in the series. As far as Rodgers, you know, I might be a little less or, you know, who am I kidding? I'm a lot less bullish on Rodgers than you are. I mean, I think to me, it's like Friday is the tough game, you know, with Alcantara coming in. You got to beat the best to be the best. So Friday is the game that I have circled. And then after that, it's like I'm expecting to win Saturday. You know, Bassett, yeah. to me, it's like you got to rebound. And I think, you know, Bassett's got a bit of that. Maybe it's hanging around Scherzer this year. He's got a bit of that pit bull mentality. He's got a big edge to him. And I think, you know, he's not thinking about those six great innings he tossed, right? He's thinking about not yeah. getting out of the seven. Exactly. So I think he's going to pitch a little pissed off. And, you know, his stuff is just far superior to Rodgers. He's one of the rare guys that has six pitches that he can use in almost every count, every situation. So I think Bassett's actually going to come out Saturday with a really good start. And then, uh, you know, Sunday, I mean, should we get into it, man? What we're expecting Sunday, a little Thursday action? Yes, First let's time get into in a few it. Weeks. Exactly. Thursday, indeed. That is the highlight, especially if you're watching this on YouTube. I have it emphasized that we're talking about Mad Max because, look, at the time of recording this, nothing is official as of now. Max just pitched his rehab start last night for the Rumble Ponies. Max went three innings, gave up two runs. One guy hit a bomb off of him. I don't know who that was for the fight and fails, but he needs to get called up ASAP for doing that off of Max. This man, prior to the game start, is looking like he's preparing for, you know, Game 7 of the World Series. That's right? the reason why... Oh my, did you did see not, that? Yes, he's, he's <laughs> literally. I'm not surprised. I would have been surprised if he was, you know, acting how he is when he's not starting. That's why Mad Max again is one of the best that we have ever seen in our lifetime. He is a bona fide Shore Hall of Famer as soon as he retires, and I cannot wait to see him back because while nothing's official right now, health wise, Buck said that he's going to just talk with Max and see how he's feeling. Max said post game after his Rumble Pony start, he's like, one, I never want to be a Rumble Pony again. I'm not supposed <laughs> to be here, and two. I want to be with the team array. I'm itching. I feel great. I'm healthy. So if we're basing things off of Scherzer's decision, I'm pretty confident saying that, yes, Max, will be back this Sunday in Miami for the series finale against these Miami Marlins. And especially with the unknown stats right now, Cookie Carrasco. Now, hopefully for Cookie's case, again, it's lower back tightness which with uh, – that's what was reported today. It's great that's not inflammation with his shoulder, with his you know mechanics, his elbow arm in general. But should Cookie, at worst case scenario, either have an IL stint or just skip a start, it just means it's that much more important for the rest of the rotation to pick off uh, where Cookie has been, for the most part, a really strong starter for the Mets this year. And Max, I mean, if Max returns, which he's fully expected to right now, how can you not be ecstatic? He's been out for a month. He's two weeks ahead of schedules between six and eight weeks. So he got there on the earliest mark possible. Obliques aren't an easy thing to come back from and handle with ease. But again, Mad Max is an anomaly of a pitcher, just like soon to be another Mets starter over the next month back in this rotation, Jacob DeGrom. But we'll discuss him in further episodes. Yeah, I mean, you know, just going back to Max and, and that double A rehab start. I mean, I saw that video on Twitter. I'm sure you saw the same thing. And, you know, the way he's just in the dugout, head down, leg shaking, because Max is always shaking or moving some body part. And he's just like so locked in like it's game seven. I was waiting for Lose Yourself to start, you know, coming in like background music. I mean, th this guy is more intense than anyone I've ever watched play baseball. I, I mean, you know, look, I, I mean, we talked about Alcantara and how he's cut from that, you know, 1960s, 1970s cloth. Scherzer's one of the other guys who he doesn't ever want to come out of a game. Now, obviously, he's, you know, it's later on in his career. He's a bit older, had the dead arm last year. You've got to monitor him a little bit at, what, 37, 38 years old. But Scherzer, every time he goes out there, you know, he does not want to come out. 
And, and I think the perfect player manager combination in baseball, there are no two guys I think who are on the same wavelength more than Buck Showalter and Max Scherzer. And, and that's why I'm so glad that this year the Mets finally got away from that rinky-dink sideshow, you know, Mickey Calloway, Louis Rojas, these guys who, oh, the players respond nice to them. Oh, they're younger. They get the players more. They're analytic. Trip. No, Buck Showalter's a baseball guy. Max Scherzer's a baseball guy. There's no doubt that Buck being the manager played a big reason in Max coming to Queens, signing with the Mets, because they're baseball guys. They get each other. You look at them in the dugout on Max's days off, and it's Buck and it's Max. I mean, he's almost like an assistant coach on this team. So, you know, Scherzer, like you said, it's not official that he's going to start Sunday, but if he says he's ready to go, then he's going to go. And he's, you know, he may be the one guy on this team that Buck won't get into it with because Scherzer knows baseball, I think, just as well as Buck, and he wants to win just as badly as Buck. So I can't wait to have him out there. I mean, this is a guy who has terrorized the Marlins throughout his career. I mean, I got it up right now. We're looking at, you know, 26 starts against the Marlins, 168 innings, 189 strikeouts, and he's 15 and five with a sub three ERA. I mean, the guy has destroyed the Marlins, especially during his tenure with the Nationals, of course. And I, I think that, you know, if you're tied 1-1 or up 2-0, Scherzer coming back on Sunday is going to be a good day for the Mets. And here's the thing, even with them being in Miami, you can still make the rightful argument that now is a good time for Max as long as he's ready to go, right? Having that rest, of course. But to facing a Miami team that on paper right now has definitely had their struggles offensively this year. Now in June, they picked things up a little bit and we saw they had some life there in the one game in which the Mets lost, but that was a really moral contra than it was the offense for Miami. But that is a matchup that I think is a perfect way for Max to get himself immersed back in this rotation versus even say him starting right away against the Astros, right? I mean, just for different reasons based on not that Max can't handle the Astros, but I'm saying it's a good matchup. Everything on paper makes you believe that, yes, this is exactly the type of team that Max should start out against and then build up on that from there. And Scherzer this year, he's been nothing short of absolute money. And the funniest part was up until, you know, his injury, you could rightfully say that he wasn't even the best starter in this rotation because of how much the Mets were rolling with their depth this year. No less, Max has been an absolute stud per usual. When looking at his numbers, he's 5-1 and one this year. He's basically a guaranteed win, which I know that wins and losses for records don't mean too much. We know that very well with Jacob DeGrom and his back-to-back -back Scions, but still, team's it's, something, it's, it's different, especially when these wins are factors heavily for the Mets' success right now. And a 2.54 ERA, I mean, just an absolute stud. And nothing's confirmed on who he would potentially be facing. I just did quick math. It might be Castano, who's a young southpaw who was uh, pitching for Miami. Right now on the year, Castano is owned one with a 2.57 ERA. Um, so, again, it, he's been a guy that has been in the rotation all year long for Miami. It's been in part with the injuries that they've dealt with. Miami's been very in uh, interesting with how they've shuffled their starters so far this year, healthy or not. So it's going to be an interesting pitching matchup. All we know is that Max is expected and will be on the bump there for the Sunday series finale. I expect a W. Anything less, in my opinion, will be nothing short of an insult. Yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think Max is the kind of guy who they're going to have to ease on in, you know, ease on back. I think Max is back and he's going to throw at least six, going to throw at least you know, his version of easing back in or gearing back up will be like 90 pitches as opposed to 105, right? That, that's what you're dealing with when you have a pit bull like Max Scherzer out there. Plus, what better spot to come back than Miami? Uh, this is a, a borderline anemic offense. It, it's a big pitcher's ballpark. And when you look at the weather, right, this guy is dealing with an oblique injury. Well, that's an injury caused by tightness, right? What better climate to pitch in 
than you know South Beach, right? I mean, even if the roof is uh, even if the roof is on and the AC is on and it's climate controlled, it's still in the 70s. If the roof's open, it's hot. I mean, I don't know. For me, when I was a pitcher, hotter the better, right? I mean, you're looser. You know, you're ready to go to me, and especially being that I went to school up in St. Bonaventure, up in you know the frigid cold in the shadow of Buffalo. It, it was the 30 degree games that killed my arm. But when we got a rare 70, 80 degree game. I could throw all day. And, and so for sure, as you're coming back from an injury caused by tightness, I mean, this is the climate you want to pitch in, right? Obviously, April in Queens is not ideal. But, you know, June in Miami, whether the roof's open or closed, uh, this is the this is the kind of game you want Max going in. Absolutely. I'm glad they brought up your experience as a pitcher as well, because that's a great point that, you know, especially early on in the year, talking about another guy that is trying to make his way back from injury is Trevor May, who's progressing really well. But as you probably remember, leading up until his injury for the Mets this year, you know, he wasn't healthy right from the jump. And he said openly that, yeah, it usually takes me the first month to really get adjusted again, because he's a guy that spent the entirety of his career in Minnesota, now at City Field with the Mets. I mean, it's still going to be cold there to begin the season, no doubt. That has had a huge impact on how he's able to begin his year, let alone just pitch overall based on these climates. So that's definitely another reason to say that, yeah, Max is destined against Miami and hopefully he's going to have a strong start in his first game back in quite literally a month. The last time that Max Scherzer was on the bump for the Mets was May 18th. So it's been a hot minute now, but already it feels like it's happening the snap of a finger. I cannot wait to see him return. So talking a little bit further about the Mets rotation right now, Joe, I want to know what your opinions are on really, do you think that this is enough for them? And do you believe the way that I do at least that Moves feel inevitable. It's just a matter of when versus, you know, if. Because you have Cookie again with his back tightness. Again, by the time this video comes out there, we already may have further information on his status, on if he's on the IL, if it's just a day-to-day -day thing, or if he doesn't even miss a start, that he's okay. Um, regardless, though, when you look at the Mets with Tyler McGill not coming back until at earliest, late August, early September. When you look at Jacob deGrom, who is still now one sim game, one live batters faced away this upcoming weekend. And then he's starting an extended rehab stint for upwards of three to five starts. So he's still a month plus away from the Mets is what we're looking like at the moment. When you look at these uncertainties right now with the health status is the rotation. How do you expect the Mets to handle it in the weeks to month plus going forward? I mean, I think Steve Cohen's going to do whatever he has to do to put this team in the best position to, you know, not just win the division, but run away with the division and, and, you know, retain that one seed in the National League, right? I no longer think this is about just trying to make the playoffs after a really disappointing Dang second half collapse a year ago. This is about getting the one seed. It's about, you know, running the table. It's about winning a championship. So whatever Steve's got to do, whatever he's got to pay luxury tax wise, it's going to be done. It's going to be paid right now. I, I mean... You know, obviously, it's tough. Starting pitching is necessary at the moment. On July 31st, it might not be as necessary. You know, to me, the bullpen is a more pressing need. I mentioned Chase and Shreve's days might be numbered. You know, I need a lefty reliever. I need a starter who can play, you know, a kind of a flex role who's probably going to be a reliever come October. Um, you know, if we add a starter, maybe we move David Peterson to the bullpen. He hasn't really gone that deep into games. You know, I think he's got a couple six-inning starts, but normally a four- to five-inning guy. And I'm sure that if he's in the pen in a one to two inning role, he'll be pumping 96, 97 if he's throwing less pitches, you know? So maybe that's how we solve our lefty issues. We add a starter and slide Peterson to the pen. Maybe we just add a starter and add a reliever. But, you know, to me, the answer is pitching. I, I think our offense is fine. I, I know that you had some qualms with how J.D. Davis has been hitting, and I completely get it. But at the end of the day, top to bottom, we have one of the best lineups in baseball. So, you know, I, I'm not worried about our offense. It, it's just... Pitching, 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 even when our pitching is fantastic, you just can't have enough.
Oh, I 100% agree with you. Look, when addressing quickly on the Mets offense, that's something that I don't think will be a detriment to their success this year. It has been the biggest factor in their success, as a matter of fact, right? But as we get closer to the deadline, funny enough, I'll actually probably have a video out later today talking about potential fits bat-wise for the Mets by the deadline. Um, But what I do know is that this is something where it's really more so of a luxury to just take that next step with what they already have built versus a need. We all know that the need is 1,000% the likes of starting pitching and bullpen, right? To what degree are the Mets going to be able to go out and say land a big-name starter? Are they going to pony up the dope prospect-wise and Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas, or if a scenario where everyone's healthy, are they going to go more down the route of a Trevor Williams 2.0, potentially another long reliever guy that can eat innings for them and get creative and just give the Mets further MLB caliber depth and not have to be reliant in a worst case scenario of say one or two starters drop down the stretch this year after the trade deadline that you have to go to, you know, last year's version of Jared Eikhoff's, you know, like you can't have those things again in this rotation. So it's pivotal that no matter what you add depth, I fully expect the Mets to. And again, it's not the matter of if it's going to happen, but a matter of when. So with that being said, Joe, I think we hit the nail on the head, everything for this episode. Uh, the last thing that I think that you want to mention quickly was on the Mets and their all-star stats right now. So take it away. Yeah, man. I mean, look, we've got that new all-star voting format this year. We're a week away from the, you know, quote unquote runoff vote where this year for all infield positions, the top two vote getters starting on June 30th will go to a runoff where it's just the top two for outfield positions. It'll be the top six vote getters. And the Mets have a lot of guys in the mix. You've got Pete Alonso, second for National League first baseman. Of course, Paul Goldschmidt's got a sizable lead, but that lead means nothing come June 30th. It's just the top two guys. So you've got Alonzo second. You've got Jeff McNeil third, but he's only about 9,000 votes. By now, it may even be less. That's a number I saw a couple days ago behind Ozzie Albies. And Albies is probably out for the remainder of the season. So you've got McNeil could very easily in the next week work his way into the number two spot where he would go to a runoff with Jazz Chisholm. You've got Frankie Lindor, third behind Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson. His gap with Swanson isn't too big, so that could go either way. Obviously, Lindor's cooled off a bit past week or two. And uh, in the outfield, I mean, to me, this is the this is the craziest thing. You've got Marte. I believe he's fourth. He's in the top six. Yes. Mark Canna is seventh. I, I mean, look, Canna's had a hell of a year, but he's seventh. That's pretty surprising to me. Brandon Nimmo, only 11th. Now, to me, I, I would think that Nimmo is arguably the most deserving all-star of the Mets outfielders. So look, I mean, to have three guys in the top 11 is incredibly great, but Nimmo being the lowest one on the totem pole kind of shocks me because look, obviously Marte's got the pop, but what Nimmo does OBP-wise every year for, I mean, the last four or five years, the guy's got a collective OBP of about 395. He's playing a gold glove caliber center field this year. Best defense defense I've ever seen seen from Brandon Nemo. He just 100%. 100%. And his bats heated up, you know, in terms of not just getting on base, but driving in runs, providing a little pop. He's had a good month of June. So for Brandon Nemo, I mean, 11 is a little low, but love having Mark Canna in that seven spot. Might have two Mets go to the runoff for the top six outfielders. So, you know, vote, 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 Met fans. You know, you're allowed, I think, five votes every day. Make sure you're maxing those out because uh, the Mets really. I mean, Tyler, if you had to off the cuff put, you know, tell me how many Mets belong in the all-star game. I'm saying five to six, and that's no DeGrom, no Scherzer, obviously. I mean, Diaz should be a lock. I think McNeil with the fourth best average in the National League, he's hitting 327, should be a lock. Alonzo, obviously, MLB leader in RBI. Lindor, top five in the MLB in RBI. I mean, that's four guys right there. You could argue for all three outfielders. I would say Nimmo and Marte. 
that's six. And then, I mean, with his current hot streak, maybe even Taiwan Walker. Am I being a homer? Do the Mets have seven all-star caliber guys? The Mets have more all-star caliber players than they know what to what to do with right now. That's how really locked and low they've been. And for me, especially when evaluating the all-star, I don't just look at the guys that should be an all-star, but especially starters, right? And that's where it gets a little bit trickier because as of now, the Mets don't have any guys that are voted in to even be a starter in this year's all-star game. And look, Goldschmidt is having truly a phenomenal year. So I can understand the arguments if, say, you believe that Goldie deserves to be starter over Alonzo. But Jeff McNeil, man, I mean, Jazz Chisholm is a great young player. But if you look at all the numbers, Jeff McNeil has had elite defense, not just at second, but in left and right. I know that we're talking about second base, but he is one of the best contact hitters in baseball. Up there was average among the best right now. Complete bounce back years, over 20 hits more than Jazz Chisholm right now. And if you look at the WRC plus, the OPS plus, I mean, this guy has been pivotal. You can tell just in this Houston Astros series, the Mets lose him for a couple games and they look absolutely anemic in a lot of ways. So he really holds, he's the glue to this team. And if there's one guy that I truly believe deserves to be a starter, it starts and ends with Jeff McNeil. So many Mets deserve to be in the all-star game. But especially when viewing starters, I want to see at minimum Jeff, if him and Alonzo would be great, along with Diaz and the Penn and some others. But vote these guys in more than anything. Yes, production is important, but it's up to the fan bases. It's up to you guys watching, listening, wherever you get your podcast right now to get these Mets in the All-Star game. This is a magical year for the Mets. They deserve to be appreciated, not underappreciated. Get them in. I, I couldn't agree more. Hey, last question I want to pose to you, and this is all I've got on my end. Uh, you know, I, I just rattled off seven guys who, you know, could potentially be all-stars for the Mets this year. Didn't even mention Mark Canna, who might be in that outfield runoff voting. So that's an eighth. What's your take? I, I want to know your stance on this push that Mets Twitter's had to get Luis Guillorme to the all-star game. What do you I think am about all Guillorme? for it. I am all for it. It's not even a joke. That's the thing. Because look, the biggest argument you can make for Guillorme is the playing time, right? But mm-hmm. if you look at the season, he's played the majority of the season for the Mets. Maybe not every game in a series, but Buck has been so creative with his lineups that Guillorme has been a lock, especially with how great McNeil has played when he has been in the corner outfield. What has Lee Skirme done this year? My man has been on absolute fire, 333 average, over 800 OPS, and is the best defensive fielder the Mets currently have. And that isn't even a hot take. It's not an argument. This man is a wizard regardless if he's at second, short, third. You could probably even throw him in the outfield, and I would expect great things from Lee Skirme. So, yes, Buck said it best. It would be great if we had a utility-type role for someone like Lee Skirme because he 1,000% deserves to be an all-star can't tell me otherwise. And again, if you're not a Mets fan, you might not know much about Lise Gourmet, but trust me when I say, look at all the numbers. This man has taken his game to new heights this year, has always had elite defense, but that bat has come around. And again, was one of those key factors, even in the series loss to the Astros. Gourmet today, at the time of recording this, went two for four, was one of the few bright spots for them offensively. And he's not just pulling the ball, he's hitting for opposite field like no tomorrow. Luis Gourmet, he deserves to be an all-star. I will do everything I possibly can to get that man in there. I know it won't be easy, but he surely does deserve it. Yeah, man. I I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the offensive stats don't jump off the sheet at you in terms of pop. Just one homer, seven RBI. But the Mets have played, what, 71 games? And he's played 49 of them. So that's, you know, way over the halfway mark of games played. He's hitting 333, like you mentioned. His OBP is 410. Uh, I mean, and to me, it's like this is maybe the most impressive thing he does. He doesn't strike out. And I'm talking offensively because defensively, I mean, he's one of the best fielders in all of baseball. He just makes so many plays. doesn't matter if he's at second, third, or short. He makes so many plays, and he makes them look so damn easy. Really difficult plays that we take for granted because of the style that he makes them with. 
but the guy does not strike out. He's got 18 walks this year and 19 strikeouts, nearly a one-to-one ratio. I mean, you know, he's putting the ball in play. He's giving the team a chance. He's going oppo, like you mentioned. Both hits today were a double and a single, both to left field. Uh, Guillaume, you know, there's probably not going to be a spot for him on that team. You're talking 32 guys, and, you know, I'm trying to get nine Mets on that team. <laughs> but uh, but, but Guillaume has been as important to the Mets' success this year as anyone. I, I would even go as far to say that Guillaume has truly been one of the biggest X factors for the Mets this year, knowing that they have dealt with ailments in their lineup and has given Buck Showalter the ability to rest guys. Let's not forget the Mets are the oldest team in baseball, folks. It's important to give Marte a day's rest. McNeil to either be in left field or give him some rest there. Canna, Canna on average has not been playing more than two of every three games. So all those reasons behind the fact that Guillaume, when he's in the lineup, he just hasn't stopped being consistent. So until proven otherwise, yeah, Luis Gourmet, sign me up. I love that man. And regardless, I really hope that Mets fans start to appreciate more what he has been to this club because he is vital to their success throughout the remainder of the year. Absolutely. Awesome. Before we wrap it up, the inaugural episode of Believe in Queens. Tyler, where can everyone follow you on socials? Oh, socials, you can just follow me on Twitter at WardyNYM. And of course, where many of you guys are listening right now on the YouTube channel at WardyNYM, we have, we're gaining upwards of 16,000 subscribers in a year and a half's time. The largest Mets platform, not directly affiliated with the Mets or SNY for a reason, breaking down all things Mets. And that's what we'll be do- doing further here with you, Joe, on uh, the Believe podcast. I'm so pumped up for the future. So many great things are coming with exclusive interviews. Again, we're going to have a former Matt as our co-host soon. There's a lot of great things to be a part of. So definitely hop on the wave. Make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts as well. Hit that subscribe, like button, wherever you're watching, listening. And thank you all so much for listening and chiming in to the first official episode of Believe in Queens. Yeah, don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, guys. Catch me on socials, at Joe Serralo on Instagram, at the Joe Serralo on Twitter and TikTok. And thanks for tuning in to episode one of Believe in Queens with Tyler Ward and myself. We'll see you next week. Let's go Mets, baby. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.